Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor's here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now, here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. Let me uh, pose a, a scenario to you. Let's say that um, you were stuck playing a, a competition. I don't even want to call it a game because let's just say you were going to be forced to play in this competition and it was a life or death competition. That doesn't quite feel like a game. And I know some of you are athletic and some of you sports is not anything that you care about. You don't watch it, you didn't play it, you don't, you don't even go there. But in this scenario, let's just say there is a competition and your life is on the line and you have to play it. It's not optional. You're going to be forced to do this. And if in this competition, there are going to be things that you don't know that's coming. I, I can't even tell you all the rules. I can't explain to you all the things that are going to be expected of you because everybody's game or competition is going to be a little bit different. You're going to have to figure out what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to do it. And along the way, there's going to be major pitfalls, huge struggles, lots of opposition. As a matter of fact, your number one opponent is incredibly evil and vile. They will cheat, steal, be subversive, play mental games. They will not follow the rules, and they will do everything they can to trip you up in this incredibly important competition that you're doing. Now, in this scenario... What if I told you if that all that was true and if all that was about to take place and you're like, I have to do that. And like, yes, this is, there's no option for you. What if I said in the middle of all of that, there's a playbook. There is a book that will line out the best way for you to succeed. Not only that, but that same book will give you plays maneuvers. It will talk about your brain, how you should think. It will talk about how you should conduct yourself. If it was a playbook that gives you detailed, not just one run play or this, do this on this time, but if it gave you an, enti an entire uh, catalog of how, how to handle just about anything that could come at you. And not only that, that same playbook would also give you all of your opponents, all of your enemies, strategies. Now, if this was a scenario that you found yourself in, how much would you hang to that playbook? If your life was on the line and you don't even know what you're supposed to do and you know that the person going against you is evil and is going to throw you all kinds of curveballs, but there's a playbook for you to be successful, how much would you hold on to that playbook? What would you do with that? The scenario I'm painting is obviously a metaphor for our spiritual walk. And if you didn't pick up on that, the Bible says that we are in a battle, not on this earth, not of flesh and blood. The Bible says that we're in a battle against principalities and powers. We're in a battle against an unseen world. So let's just take it up a notch. Not only are you in a competition, but you're in a competition that um, is invisible for a lot of people. The cool thing is, though, that God actually did give us a playbook. He gave us very specific instructions for how you and I can be successful in this competition we call life. 
And every single one of us have to play. Whether we want to or not, we have to compete. How we compete and what we do, well, that's up to us. And every single one of us have an opponent coming after us. There is an opposition called the devil, Satan, Lucifer, the evil one, the deceiver, and he hates you. And what he wants is he wants nothing more than your total and utter destruction. And he has read the playbook. And the last thing he wants is he, he doesn't want you to read the playbook. Because it exposes his strategies. It exposes the things he's going to do to you and throw at you and the confusion he's going to try to drop on you. He wants to keep you away from that source. And that's where we find ourselves every day going, God, I know you've called me to live a life that is like Jesus Christ. I'm supposed to live and love and see and talk and act more like he did and less like I want to. So how do I do that? And God's like, here's the playbook. But God, I keep getting knocked down and things suck and I'm struggling and Satan's attacking me and life is, is just keeps one, one pitfall after another. How, what am I supposed to do? Hey, here's the playbook. So in this series, we're going to look at both our opposition who hates us and is going to do everything he can to stop us. And we're going to expose his strategies. But then we're also going to look and see what's God's plan. What should we be doing? And how will it work out for us? In the weeks that come, I'm going to be very specific about some of the attack strategies and some of the, the counter plans, if you will, the offense and defense. I don't want to use too many sports terms because I know some of you are like, I don't get any of these. Um, it's, it's, just kidding. But as we dive into it, we'll get more specific because I think there's some attacks that you don't even know that you're under because that's how good our adversary is. If any of you do watch sports, you'll, you can appreciate when there's a mastermind behind the plays, when they, they use distraction and then they do something else over here, when they confuse their opponents into thinking this is what's coming when they actually attack a different way. Satan knows your weaknesses, and he knows how to exploit them, and that's why you need something bigger than yourself. Luckily, our coach is the creator of all things. I'm curious how much you would lean into his playbook. Some of us, we, we don't even realize the competition we're in. That's why we put the playbook on the shelf, and we barely touch it. If the scenario I painted really rang true for you, Man, I would be carrying this thing around like all the time. Like, is that, wait, is that a trap? Let me see. <laughs> wait, what am I supposed to do there? Hold on, I'll give you an answer as soon as I find it. You know, that's how it should be, but that's not what we do because we don't really understand the stakes that we're playing for. So I want to open up this playbook in the weeks to come, and I, wanna, I want us to like lean in a little bit to where maybe God's trying to show us something, give us an insight into an, an attack that's coming, Maybe shine a light on the fact that we've been duped already. Maybe simply help us go, okay, hey, when it's coming, you want to be strong over here. You got to make sure you got your defenses up right here. Whatever it is, let's just ask God to show that to us. Psalm says, your word have I hid in my heart. You got to memorize this playbook. 
I'm not going to say any names because I don't bash people, but somebody last year that was a Patriot player had a hard time with our playbook, Cam Newton. And, <laughs> and what he said was, he's like, I just didn't, he, he, just, he admitted, he said, I just didn't get all the plays. I didn't get it. You know, there's a lot to get in here. But God doesn't want you to be confused. God's not the author of confusion. He wants you to be able to go, okay, hey, God, what do you have for me? So that's what I'm hoping we get out of this series. As we jump into it, will you bow your heads and pray with me as we kind of kick off a new series and simply ask God to show us something today and in the weeks to come that we desperately need in such a high-stakes competition? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you so much for loving us. God, thank you for a playbook. Thank you for the love letters that you have given us that not only tell us about how much you care for us and what you've done for us, but God, you also give us a plan, a strategy. You show us what's going on behind the scenes. You show us what's happening in, in, in the dark world. You show us what Satan has planned for us and how he manipulates and cheats and, and does everything he can to destroy us. And yet, God, you've also showed us how we have hope in you and how we can find success, victory, joy in you. Lord, be with us right now, this weekend, in the days to come. God, would you give us ears to hear? Would you give us minds that are open and hearts that are receptive to what it is you're trying to teach us? God, we ask this and we pray this in your precious and holy name. Amen. I want to take a second and welcome everybody. Welcome to Harbor Church. Those of you that are watching on Facebook or YouTube or listening to this on the podcast, or you might be here for the first time or the first time in a very long time. I know uh, quarantine and COVID and all that stuff was, man, that took a toll. And I know a lot of us are trying to, to ease back into where we're going. So welcome to church. Welcome to church maybe for the first time or first time in a long time. My name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here at Harbor. And Man, I'm thrilled that you get to be with us on this kickoff for this playbook series. If we're going to understand how to do this, you're going to have to take a good look at, at who you're going up against. I had the opportunity to play uh, basketball in college. Um, nothing really great, just Division II. But um, even at that level, we had to watch game film. And you know what you want to watch? You want to watch your highlight reel. Like, look at me, look what I did, watch this, slow-mo. You know what you do watch? All the other guys. You watch your opponents. And the only time coach would let us watch our own game film was to point out how much we sucked. <laughs> like, you see this mistake, Adams? That's a laugh. <laughs> we, stopped we stopped doing that, coach, I'm good. But we had to watch game film. Anybody that you see that's a professional athlete, they know the importance of studying their opponents. God could have left us ignorant, naive to Satan, but he doesn't. He exposes Satan because, one, Satan doesn't have any control over what God does. And if God wants to reveal his strategy, then God can. Satan can't stop it, and this is what God did. So the verses that we find that show us a little bit behind the scenes about what the devil does, we should really take note of. Because they're not in there just to tell a story. They're in there to warn us so that we can be prepared. The very first time we encounter the devil is way back at the beginning at creation. And in creation, at the very beginning of what we consider time, God has always existed. But at a point in time, he spoke into existence all things. He spoke and the world was created, the galaxies, the universe. Science has figured out what the Bible has known all along is that 
everything originated from one point has been expanding ever since. I believe at that point, God spoke and it has been creating forever. And in that creation, he has a planet that we call Earth. And on that planet, it says that he created all life. He separated the waters from the earth, and then he put birds in the sky and fish in the sea and animals on land, and then he created man and woman. And in all of this, it says it was good and it was beautiful. And you go read the first two chapters of Genesis. It's it's a really cool creation story. Towards the end of that second chapter, God says, listen, Adam and Eve, I love you guys so much. I get all of this for you. All of these animals are yours. You name them, you are the master over those animals, you're the master over this earth, and you can have all of this for you. Eat whatever you want. All of these trees, all this stuff is just for your pleasure. Everything is yours except for this one tree. I want you to leave this one tree alone. But everything else, yours to have. That's where we end the second chapter. But like I said, we have an adversary. There's been many a times I sat in a locker room and we drew up some game plans. We're like, yeah. Here we go. In the locker room, it's very different from when you run out. And you're like, oh, those guys are a lot bigger than I thought. We need a new plan, coach. (laughs) Not that I ever said that, but I thought it. I think it was Mike Tyson that says everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face, right? I think that was him. See, here's the thing. Our adversary's coming after us, and uh, he's not going to pull his punches. Let me show you the first recorded instance we have of Satan and his strategy. Join me, if you will, in Genesis chapter 3. We'll start in verse number 1. If you don't have a Bible, we'll put it on the screen. In verse number 1, it says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day, he asked the woman, Did did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Well, of course we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, the woman replied. That would be Eve. It's, the only, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it or you will die. Satan replied, you won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And that's, that's what God's trying to stop. He's jealous is what Satan's saying. You're going to be like God knowing both good and evil. That's why he doesn't want you to eat that. And so... The woman was convinced. See, she saw that the tree was beautiful. It looked good. She said, that fruit looks delicious. And she wanted the wisdom she thought it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. And then she gave it to her husband, Adam, who was with her. And he ate it too. And this is the first recorded sin ever. Romans tells us that by one man's sin, by Adam eating that fruit, all of us inherited a sin nature. Because Adam chose to eat the fruit that was forbidden, that God said not to, he sinned. And sin, by the way, if you don't understand sin, sin is simply when you miss the mark of perfection. God has a bullseye, and the dead center is God's best for your life. And when you err from that, anything missing the mark, sin has always been defined as missing the mark. When you miss the mark, that's sin. And they, they could have done it right. They could have said, yep, God said, don't eat it. We're not going to eat it. But then they took a bite. And you and I, when we sin, a lot of times we like to compare our sin to other people. And we go, I only missed a little bit. That guy's missing a lot. 
Anything less than God's perfection is sin. And because God is perfect and righteous and holy, he can't tolerate sin. And the Bible says that in this, this moment, sin entered the world. And Satan's whole goal was to see that happen. Because God said, if you eat the fruit, you're going to die. And a lot of people go, well, Adam and Eve didn't die right away, so God was lying. No, you got to understand, death has always been categorized in the Bible as a separation. See, when we think of death on the physical level, it's when your soul separates from your body. Therefore, your body no longer continues. And it is a separation. But see, what happened when they ate that fruit, they were separated spiritually. They were no longer pure and holy like God, who has always been righteous. They had erred. They had missed the mark. And so they died right then and there spiritually. And all of us are born spiritually dead with a sin nature. And this has been inherited and passed down since Adam all the way through all the generations. And it was Satan's master plan. And did you see how he did it? Did you watch what he did? Let's go back to verse number one. The serpent, the shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made, one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from the trees of the garden? Let's break this down for a second. And if you're taking notes, let me put it to you this way. I'm going to give you four strategies that, that's, that the devil employs right here. And it's not unique to this story. This is his master plan, and he does it all the time to you and I. We just get a little insight to it. First off, we see the devil will disguise his attack. The devil will always disguise what he's doing. See, the Bible says... That Satan is, a, is like a roaring lion. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, pay attention. You're about ready to get tricked. Peter goes, stay alert. That means wake up. Open your eyes. There's a lot of things disguised around you. Stay alert. Why? Because your enemy, the devil, your adversary, your opponent in this game called life, he hates you. And he's prowling around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. Lions are not looking for animals to go give a hug to. The devil is roaring, or is, is roaring and, uh, and prowling and sneaking and hiding. I've never watched the Discovery Channel where the lions are out in the open and be like, Hey, gazelle, I'm here. Come check it out. What do they do? They creep low in the grass. Looking for somebody who's left the fold. Looking for somebody who's weak. Looking for somebody who's not paying attention. Because you have to stay alert. You have to pay attention if you want to find something in disguise. And so what's he do? How's he do it? Well, when Satan disguises his attacks, he does it a couple of different ways. See, what I see here first is that he comes as a snake. Anybody else weirded out by the fact that Eve's talking to a snake and doesn't seem to mind? I don't know if like you guys read these stories and you know, you're like, oh yeah, I read it. I'm like, Eve, what's up? But you got to remember this is before the fall. Everything was perfect. Okay. And uh, she was used to snakes. Snakes didn't scare because this is before the curse. Snakes weren't cursed. After this, God curses snakes and he makes them crawl on their bellies. So this snake most likely came upright. If you've seen cobras, they can raise up about half of their body. One of the few snakes that can do it. I, I'm assuming that pre-curse, snakes could raise up almost all of their body and just go around like that. So it says he comes in walking upright because it's the curse, it's after this that God uh, commands them to, to crawl on their bellies. 
So here's an upright snake talking. And Eve doesn't miss a beat. Like, what's up, Mr. Snake? <laughs> okay. Here's what I want you to understand in this, though. Read Genesis 1 and 2. God created snakes. Everything God created was what? Good. Stop and think about this for a second. Everything that God created, the clouds, the sky, the earth, the sea, the seaweed, and the fish, and then every bird, and every animal, the deer running around, the wolves running around, everything was good. There was no violence. There was no murder. These animals weren't killing each other. They were perfect. They were good. And the snakes were good. If you don't think, listen to me, if you don't think that Satan will come at you with something good that he can use to turn evil, you don't understand your adversary. He's going to come at you with something very familiar. She knew that snake. That wasn't a brand new animal. She knew that snake. She'd seen snakes before. And that snake was good. And Satan comes in going, I'll take something that you know is good. And I'll begin to twist. And there's a lot of us in this room that have fallen prey to something that started off good that got what you got a little too carried away with. The Bible talks about gluttony, where we overindulge in food. We have a tendency as humans to overindulge in just about everything. I don't preach against entertainment. I like Netflix. I like watching ESPN. I, I understand that entertainment's there. Some of you hate it. And if you hate it, more power to you. I don't care. I don't preach against it because in and of itself, I don't think entertainment is bad. But overindulgence in entertainment, yes. I don't think it's wrong for you to work. I think God gave you a job and he's, he's, made, he's honored and proud of you when you work hard. But when you become a workaholic and you elevate work to a place that now that's what you worship over your God and over your family and over your other responsibilities, now it's a sin. It's something that starts off good and then we somehow don't quite understand where it's supposed to stay, and Satan takes good, and he turns it into evil. It's not the only thing he does when he disguises this attack. I want you to look at verse number one again. Let me show you something. Verse number one, bring it up for me. See, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the animals that the Lord God had made, and when Satan starts talking, he says, hey, did God really say you can't eat from the fruit? Do you notice what word Satan left out? Who created the snake? Not God, the Lord God. And when Satan talks to her, he goes, hey, did God say that? See, so you understand, God, Elohim, this is power. That's God's power. That speaks to what he has as authority. The title Lord, that speaks to our covenant relationship with him. See, when Satan comes, he'll talk about God. He's got to admit God's got power. You've got to admit it. The guy created all of this. But he leaves off, hey, Eve, your Lord God, he doesn't want to talk about the Lord. He doesn't want to talk about a relationship with God. You see what I'm saying here? See, he leaves off that title because that title references a covenant relationship, a submission to a God that you're following. He's just like, yeah, God's all powerful. See, what Satan does and he... He did it back then, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, and he does it today. He'll absolutely admit that there's a God. He just doesn't want you to have a relationship with him. See, Satan is completely comfortable with you being in religion, just not in relationship. Come on, that'll preach somebody. You, you are at a place where you're like, 
oh man, Satan must really hate me. I'm at church. Nah. Churches have been jacking people up for a long time. I pray that's not true of our church, but listen, man-made religion has messed people up for centuries. Satan's okay with religion. He's got his hand in religion. He loves, he loves hypocrites and liars and Pharisees. He loves that crap because it turns people away from God. He's okay with you understanding religion. He just doesn't want you to have a relationship. He came at her with something familiar. You know that God guy? See, that was familiar. she's familiar with God. If you read the first two chapters, they've been hanging out in the garden with God. Every night, Adam and Eve walk one-on-one -on -one with God. They just walk, I guess that's not one-on-one, two-on-one or whatever it is. They walk around with God, like arm-in-arm. -arm. Not like just praying to him distantly. Like, he shows up in the garden, and they're hanging out with God. They're very familiar with God. He just left a little bit of that Lord part off. He takes what you're familiar with and says, hey, let me come around on this. See, what he... What Satan does is Satan doesn't come at you in a way that you're going to expect him to come at you. You want a good attack plan? Have you ever played any sports? Your best offense is going to be what they're not expecting. Because they're preparing for what they think you're going to throw at them. So throw something at them that they're not ready for. See, we're all here like, come on, come on, Satan. You come at me with those, those sp spiky ears and that pointy tail and the pitchfork. I got you. That's not how he shows up. He shows up as a creation, a snake, talking about God. He's deceitful. As the philosopher Kaiser Sose once said, the greatest trick that Satan ever pulled off was convincing the world that he didn't exist. It's not really a philosopher. That's a movie called Usual Suspects. It's not a good movie. <laughs> like five people got it. Five people got it, and other people are like, What? I'm not recommending it. I'm just using it. The point's still true. Satan gets away with a lot because people don't even know he's there. See, that's how he comes at us. He's disguised. Lions don't come out scaring you off until it's too late. A lot of times, the gazelle doesn't even know the lion's there till it's pouncing. Your reaction time's cut down. Because you weren't ready. He comes and he disguises his attack, but you see what else he did? Disguises his attack, he also distracts your attention. See what he asks? You see what he asks Eve? He says, hey, did God really say you can't eat the fruit trees? Do you notice that? Notice his question? Hey, what's up? What's up with this tree you're not allowed to eat? What's he doing? He's distracting her. You know how a magician gets to do so many tricks on you? They get you to look at this hand over here while they're doing something with this hand over here. It's all about distraction. You don't think the master deceiver, as the Bible calls him, knows how to distract you? What's he say? Hey, um, what's up with this tree you're not allowed to eat? What's he doing? Let's focus on the negative, Eve. Anybody? Man, I'm going to preach to you about what hit me. And if some of you don't shake your head, I'm going to know I'm the only sinner in here. That's going to make me feel really bad. Because this is what happens to me, too. Let's focus on all the things you don't have. Right? He doesn't go, Eve, look at all these trees that God's given you. He goes, Eve, what's that, that tree you're not allowed to have? That is a master distraction plan. 
Eve, what's up with this one tree? And now instead of Eve going, God has been so good to me. God has blessed me. God has given me all of this. All of this is, is just at my fingertips. How much must God love me? Now she's going, well, God doesn't love me enough to let me have this tree, huh? You see how dangerous that is? How often do you and I do that? We only look at what we don't have. And now that what that does, and Satan knows, it makes us doubt that God is good. You guys are going to have to get a lot louder than that. See, what he does is he comes and he goes, look over there. See how green that grass is? Yeah, why don't I have that? If God really loved me, I would have that, wouldn't I? If God was really good to me, he wouldn't make me miss out on whatever that fruit tastes like. That fruit looks so delicious. God must not want me to have anything delicious. Now, we all laugh, right? But if we could look into our hearts... When we're, when we're paying our bills or watching our neighbor drive by in a car that we don't have or looking on Instagram at family pictures that we ain't got, we all find a way to look at what we don't have and assume that must mean that God's not good. And Satan loves it because that's how he whispers. He goes, look at what God didn't give you. Look what God said no to. See, he distracts us. That's why Hebrews says in chapter 2, therefore we must pay closer attention to what we've heard unless we drift away. See, if we're not paying attention, if we're not looking closely, we can be led astray. And it doesn't take much for us in this distracted world, does it? Hey, man, just over here. Just like, hey, oh, no, don't, don't worry about God. And see, God's got you. He says, hey, I want you to read my word today. And you're like, okay, God, let me see the playbook. And Satan goes, hey, hey, do you see this on the news? You see this on the news over here? Oh, no, yeah, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read about, I'm going to read what God has for me. Hey, 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 you get this text message? Isn't it weird how you get all these text messages when you're trying to read the Bible? Hey, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to hear what, God, I'm going to hear from God's word and God's man so I know what to do. Hey, hey, why don't we think about what we're going to do later on? Why don't we, and all of a sudden you're going, am I distracted? Why am I distracted? Now, some of you just got ADD and you can't help it, but like focus, bring it back in. He's a master distractor. This is what it says in John chapter, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Don't love the things of this world, the things that this world offers you. For when you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father in you. See, you can only have love for one thing going on. There's only room for one dominant love. The Bible says you can't serve two masters. If you're going to love all these things of the world, Satan knows that you don't have any room left to love God. So it says, for the world offers just cravings for physical pleasure, craving for everything we see, the pride of our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, they're from this world. See, I, I want to speak this over you because some of you have fallen prey to this, and this is one of the reasons you don't want to go to church, you don't want to talk about God, you don't want to live in this, you just go, I don't want to. See, when, when Satan gets you to focus on the nose of God, you miss out on all the yeses of God. See, God wasn't, God wasn't saying, I hate you, Adam and Eve. I'm a mean God who wants to take away all your fun. Look what God, God said, everything except for this. God is a God of freedom. God is a God of blessing. But when we get, when Satan gets in our ear and we get distracted, all we see is the no. God said no to me. You know how many things God has said yes to you about? We pray and God doesn't say yes to us in that prayer, so God must not love us. God has said yes to us in a lot of things that we have forgotten about. We just get all upset about the no's. God is giving me a no right now at this moment, so then I'm 
my world is over, or I, must, I, 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 must, I just need to quit, or I just have to give up on God. See, what they thought, and this is how it works in all the rest of the world too, so here you go. They looked at the one tree they couldn't have instead of, they saw that one no, instead of seeing all the yeses, so they're like, I'm going to take this no, because I get the choice, and I'm going to take and make it a yes. And when they turned a God's, God's no into a yes, they lost all the other yeses. See, they lost the garden when they took for themselves. Now, how does that look for you and I? See, this plays out. When God says, listen, I want you to act this way in your business. Conduct yourself this way in the world. I know you have a secular job, but here's how I want you to get money. I want you to do it honestly. So, no, you can't make that sale. And no, you can't fudge that time card. And no, you can't collect on that when you didn't do that. And then you're all sudden like, well, I don't like those no's, so I'm just going to take those, I'm going to turn into a yes for me. And what you did is you missed out on all the yeses where God, by the way, in Malachi, God says, if you trust me more than you trust money, I'll stop the devourer from consuming your money. And then we wonder, why don't I ever have anything left? How is, it I can't, how is it I can't pay my bills? How is it I just keep getting hit up with all this stuff? Because you took a yes for yourself and you missed out on all the good yeses that God had for you. You don't think that that works? God sees this is thing. God told all the single people here, you do not need to be having sex. Sex is something I created for somebody who gets into a marriage. And we go, I don't like that. No. God's telling me, no, I can't enjoy that. See, that doesn't make sense to me. That makes me feel like God wants me to miss out. God's holding back on me. So I'm going to take one of God's no's and turn it into a yes for myself. And what you do is you miss out on all the other yeses where God says, I'm going to bless you when you learn how to wait. But see, we don't do that. And this is what's happening in our world time and time again. I don't want God to, to, to give me a no. So I'm going to take all of God's no's and I'm going to make them all yeses and my life will be so much better. And the only time that God says no, hear me. The only time that God says no is to protect one of his yeses. He's protecting you for more. And when you take a no and turn it into a yes, you lose the blessings over there. And I'm just trying to speak that over you because you've fallen for Satan's trap, uh, trick or trap where he's going, nah, you just need to do it for yourself. This is what Eve does. He distracts your attention. That's not the only thing he does. He, he disguises his attack. He distracts your attention. He also distorts God's plan. See, uh, he asked he asks Eve, hey, what's the thing? What's going on with this fruit? And she goes, yeah, yeah, God said that we can't, uh, we can't have that garden. That's the one, that, that tree in the middle of the garden. God said you must not eat it or even touch it or you will die. By the way, God doesn't say that. God said, Adam and Eve, don't eat that fruit. That's all that God says. Eve getting all turned around because God is, why is God not letting me have it? Yeah, God said that. God said that we're not allowed to have that tree. We're not allowed to eat it or even touch it. See, she added some rules to God. And Satan loves it. Satan loves when we are confused about our Bible. He loves it when we're confused about what it is that God has for us. And see, this is a thing. Religion does this a lot. We add on extra rules that aren't really there. See, like I grew up in a, in a, in a church, pretty conservative church. Obviously, the Bible says don't have sex outside of marriage. So we weren't allowed to dance. <laughs> right? Pornography is bad and wrong, so we weren't allowed to go to the movies. Like, just dumb stuff like that, because they, they said, here's, here's what the Bible says, so we're going to make extra rules. And Satan loves, and by the way, if you have a conviction, you stick to your convictions, that's fine. But what Satan loves is he loves when we don't quite understand what God was trying to tell us. 
And when we get confused, he just sits back and smiles. See, Eve is wrong. He doesn't do anything to correct her. He doesn't do anything to be like, no, Eve, that's not what God says. She's like, yeah, yeah, you're right, Eve. God, God's mean. Why would God do that? See, this is what 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 4 says. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. The good news is the gospel of Jesus Christ dying for you. They can't see it. They don't understand the message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. They can't see it. Why? Satan has blinded their minds. They're unable to see. See, there's so much confusion going on. If your playbook is whatever comes across your television, if your playbook is whatever is playing on your radio, if your playbook is what everybody else at work thinks your life should look like, you're going to be all kinds of confused and blinded. These, these are people who have already fallen prey to the adversary. Their opponent, Satan, has already tricked them. He's already got them running dumb plays where they don't know what's going on. I don't know if any of you guys remember the old Super, the old Nintendo games. Uh, there was a game called Tecmo Bowl. It was a football game. Now I love playing that with my brothers. Now I loved it. It was good. The best team on there was the Giants. I know that sounds weird, but they had Lawrence Taylor. Whoa, LT. <laughs> he could sack some people. And even Phil Sims was a decent quarterback, and I could throw all kinds of touchdowns. My brother didn't, no matter what team he picked, I could beat him. But as, as he started to learn how to play, I had to start cheating. <laughs> so I told him, because he didn't know the rules. He didn't know how to play football. I said, hey, look, man, my guy keeps sacking you. If you don't want to get sacked, run all the way back to your end zone. That's where you'll be safe. And he did it. And I tackled him. And the referee, the, like the old digital picture, like, tick, 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 safety. Like this, safety, safety. And I was like, See, you're safe. He's like, oh, okay. He's like, why do you have the ball back? I'm like, it's just because you're safe. I just get a chance. <laughs> I don't think he noticed every time that I got two points for that. But see, he didn't know the rules. He didn't know how to play. And it was easy for me to begin to trick him. And I took something like a safety and made him think that he was safe. Satan will take things that you go, oh, is this how God meant it? And he go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he'll distort the truth. That's why the Bible says to be a good steward, rightly dividing the word of truth. So you can read through and go, no, this is what God's trying to say. You don't get tossed around, the Bible says, by every crazy doctrine. That's how cults get started. Weirdos that take one piece, one verse and twist it out of, out of context, and then they preach a whole thing about it, and it has nothing to do with what the Bible's trying to say as a message. Satan loves when you get one thing a little bit off, and then he just keeps fueling that. So he distorts God's plan. His goal has always been in this distortion, by the way, to get you to doubt that God is good. So if you're here and you're doubting God's goodness, understand that's always been, that's always been his strategy. Here's the last thing that Satan does. After she says, you know, uh, we're not supposed to do it, we're going to die. Satan then, after, after Eve says, God said we'll die if we eat it. Satan, this finally, his final attack is verse number four. He says, you won't die. I know God said that, but God was lying. Eve, 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 you're not going to die. You're not going to. As a matter of fact, God knows that you're going to be smarter, and that's He doesn't want that for you because He's jealous and He's petty, and God isn't actually good. And see, in this final move, the devil always disguises his attack. He always distracts your attention. He always distorts God's plan. But then he will deny the truth. 
He will always deny the truth. He doesn't come right out with that because she would have been prepared for it. But as, as he pokes at her faith in God, as he, as he, she, he begins to, to pull away at this idea that God might not actually be good, he can then just come up with a flat-out lie. That's why John 17, 17 says, Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. See, it's the truth that sets us free is what the Bible says. And that truth is God's word. Satan will always come to attack God's word. He will always come in a way to take you away from the truth that sets you free. See, Revelations chapter 12, verse number 9 says this, The great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. How does it describe Satan, the dragon, the devil? The one who was deceiving the whole world. See, once he gets you to question God, once he deceives you into thinking that God's not good, then he's going to get you to start questioning God's love. Once he gets you to question God's word, he'll get you to question God's love. In John chapter 8, verse 44, it says, You are the children of the father of the devil. This is Jesus talking to people who weren't believers. He goes, You're the children of your father, the devil. You love to do evil things like he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. From the very beginning, his goal was to kill. You're not playing with somebody who plays fair. You're not playing with somebody who, if he goes up, if he runs the score up, he's going he's gonna to pull off the gas. No, he's going to put his foot on your throat. This is how, who you're playing against. This guy's out for blood. He's always hated the truth. See, the truth sets you free. So what does Satan, the one who wants to see you enslaved, do? He hates the truth. He's hiding that key from you. Some of you, it's hard for you to hear the word of God because your heart has been hardened to it because Satan knows that it's the word of God, not the word of Josh, the word of God that will set you free. And he does not want that coming into you. He doesn't want you to receive that. See, he's always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character. He's the lie, the, he, he is a liar and the father of liars. So what is the result? That's all Satan's strategy, all the things he does. Well, what's God's counter plan? We've got a coach that's better than our adversary. What's God tell us to do with it? Look at the rest of the story. At that moment, when Adam and Eve ate that fruit, their eyes were opened. See, now they are made aware of sin and their guilt. They were beautifully oblivious to all the wrong in the world because there was no wrong. And in the moment that their eyes were opened, doesn't mean they got smarter. It means they went, oh, crap exists now. It just got real. They felt their shame. Notice that? The first thing that comes from sin is shame. Satan loves to see people buried under shame. He knows. He knows that's a weight that we can't bear. So he loves to pile it on. The shame came. They saw their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And when the cool evening breezes were blowing, they knew that God was coming. So they said, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. Do you see what else happens when we sin? I don't have time to give you this point too deeply, but they took the leaves off of the trees that God had given them and sewed clothes for themselves and then hid in those trees. They took the blessings from God to hide their sin. They hid 
in God's provision. There are people that hide in church. We hide behind the things that God gives for us, and we hope, ah, maybe this will look normal. <laughs> maybe God won't notice that we've always been naked, and now we're wearing the newest fig leaf outfit. <laughs> this is my spring collection. And maybe God won't notice, right? See, what we do is we begin to hide behind things and hope that that passes as normal, and we hide behind the very things that God has given us. Some of you are hiding behind your talent. Some of you are hiding behind your faith, but it's really just religion. Some of you are hiding behind your family because look what I've done, look what I've accomplished, and you know that God has more for you. We hide behind the things that God gives us as if though that somehow justifies that we're not really as close to him as we should be. So watch how God deals with it. The Lord called to the man, hey, Adam, where are you? And Adam replied, I, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Do you see what else sin does to us? Makes us feel shame and then fear. Man, we get wrecked with that. I don't know what to do with it. I was, I was scared. So he says, hey, I was afraid because I was naked. Well, who told you you were naked? The Lord asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I command you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me. First chance that man has to come clean, he blames his wife. <laughs> Easy, ladies. If you hadn't handed us the fruit, we wouldn't ever be in this situation. All right? But do you notice? Gets a chance to come clean, and what's he do? He blames God, and then he blames his wife. The woman you made. God, you made her, and then she made me do it. But either way, it's not my fault. It's one of yours' faults. And so God said, God replied, or God then, the Lord then asked the woman, what have you done? Well, it's the serpent who deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. So she copies Adam and she's like, it ain't my fault. It's the snake's fault. We'll stop there for time, but here's what I want you to see about God. We, we've gotten a look at our enemy's playbook. So let's look at our counterplay, if you will. Let's look at how God answers it. He answers with four questions. Did you notice that? God asked four questions. First, he asked, hey, where are you? And see, this gives us an insight. We know what the devil will do, so let me show you what the creator will do. Our creator will, one, call you close. When he says, where are you, God isn't asking a question he doesn't know the answer to. God knew exactly where Adam was. It's the world's worst hide-and-seek game ever played in the history of mankind. God won't notice. Just stay still, Eve. Don't move. He created you. He created the tree you're hiding behind. <laughs> like, how dumb are you? God wasn't asking, where are you? Like, Adam, I don't know where you're at. God asked four questions. He already knew the answer to all four of them, okay? He wasn't asking for his benefit. He was asking for their benefit. Where are you shows us that God, even though he knew they were sinners, he knew they had screwed up, he wanted to be close to them. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, even, even though God already knew how jacked up they were, he wanted closeness with them. Where are you? That's why John ch chapter 10, verse 27 says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. The shepherd wants closeness with his flock. He knows you're a dumb sheep that wanders off, and yet he still loves you. I'm not picking on you. I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm trying to set you free. If you're hiding the fact that you're a jacked up dumpster fire, the only person you're fooling is yourself. 
God already knows how messed up you are. And he says, hey, I, want, I still want to be close to you. But I'm gross and I'm dirty and I, I've made mistakes. I still love you, is his answer. He says, hey, Adam, where are you? See, 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, the creator will always want to call you close. Hey, where are you? Is that what God's saying to you right now in this moment? Hey, where are you? Where are you? How far are you from me? You want to be close to me? Come on. Come on. You've wandered across the field. It's time for a huddle. Let's go. Huddle up. Here we go. Be close. I got something for you. I still love you. Yeah, you done screwed up, but I still love you. Come on. See, the creator will call you close. The creator will also try to change your mind. I believe that's what God's trying to do for some of you right now. Maybe it's somebody listening. Maybe it's one of you sitting here. He says, hey, who told you you were naked? This is when God asked the second question, Adam, who told you that? He's talking about Adam's and Eve's new friend. He's talking about the influences that they have allowed in their life. Who told you? Who you've been listening to? It's how you can interpret that today. What influences you have in your life? That's is what he's trying to do. He's trying to change their minds. See, he gives us a huge insight into Satan and himself in John chapter 10 when Jesus says in verse number 10, the thief's purpose, Satan's purpose, is to steal, kill, and destroy. But me, my purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. Hey, listen, you've been, you put the wrong jersey on. You're playing for the wrong team. They're just looking to kill you. Come over here. I want to change your mind. You've had the wrong influences in your, in your life. You've been listening to the wrong voices. Right now in this moment, I believe the Holy Spirit's trying to tell somebody in here that you've been listening to the wrong voice. You're not that broken. You are not so far gone that God can't do something with you. You do not have to continue to give in to that addiction. You do not have to keep going away and away and away from God. God has something bigger for you. He's trying to change your mind. He's trying to change what influences you have. He says, hey, listen to this play. Look at this. There's freedom here for you. He doesn't just say, where are you and who told you? He then turns and he asks the third question. He says, hey, have you eaten of the fruit? Have you eaten of that fruit? He knew they had. You know what he's asking them there? He's saying, hey, what have you taken into your life? You've obviously been listening to the wrong people. What have you been taking in? So this is what the creator does. He calls you close. He wants to change your mind. He's also going to challenge your decisions. This is part of the play. This is part of getting in shape. This is part of being, hey, if you're going to play, if you're going to win, you've got to know what's wrong. You've got to let go of some of the baggage. The Bible says we're running a race, so set aside the weights that trip you up. There's things in your life right now that God is trying to challenge, not me. He's going to use this message and say, hey, I don't want that in your life. You're looking at stuff you shouldn't be looking at. You're listening to things you shouldn't be listening to. You're starting to talk away. I don't want you to talk. You're, you're allowing intake. You're, you're, you're around the wrong people. You're doing the wrong thing. You're indulging in something, and you're, you think you're getting away with it, but it's, it's slowly killing you, and I've got something better for you. See, 1 John 3, 8 says, when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning, but the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. There may be some works of the devil at play in your life right now. 
He may have got his claws into you. God's hope is to destroy those in your life right now. Right here in this moment, God wants to destroy the work of the devil in your life. He's lied to you. He's discouraged you. He's cheated you out of stuff. He's distracted you. He's got you to be enemies with people that should never have been your enemies. He's got you to to damage your reputation. He's got you to doubt God's goodness. That's his master plan. See, the Bible says that God came to destroy those works. Well, I think I'm just going to stay here. I I hear what you're saying, Pastor, but I I think I'm going to do me. You must be preaching to somebody else because I think I'm okay. Proverbs 28, 26 says, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. But who walks in wisdom will be delivered. You want deliverance? Don't sit here and cross your arms and go, I'm okay. Don't listen to this message and go, I think I'm fine. Open up. See, Satan had a four-plan attack. God has a four-plan answer. You call you close, he'll change your mind, he'll challenge your decisions. But then he asks one more question. Hey, what have you done? His last question is, what have you done? What have you done? See, he already knew everything they had done, but what he's doing right here in this last question is he's just giving them a chance to <laughs> come clean. Hey, just, just own it and drop it. Will you just let go? Will you just bring all of your garbage and just drop it at my feet? Do you know how freeing it is to not have to play games with God? Some of you have never experienced this, or it's been a long time since you have. Just come and go, God, I'm a train wreck. God, here's what I've been doing wrong, and I need you more than I need me, and just drop it. See, when he says, hey, what have you done? He's not even asking about what they've eaten or who they've listened to. He says, all the junk in your life, just come on, let's just own up to it. Come on, let's just admit it right now. I already know. Can you own it? See, the final thing that God does is he's, he says, I'm going to carry your burdens. I'm going to carry all of this for you. See, Psalms chapter 55, verse 22 says, give your burdens to the Lord. He'll take care of you. He'll not permit the godly to slip and fall. Give them. Adam and Eve in that moment need to come and say, yeah, we done messed up. We're sorry. We screwed up. God, we're idiots. If, you ever have, ever, if you've never had that conversation with God, what are you waiting for? He already knows it. I tell God I'm stupid all the time. He's not surprised. It's just good for me to be reminded. I, I, I messed up. I'm stupid. Forgive me. Let me be in your wisdom and not my stupidity. God, help me. One of the best verses in the Bible, I think, is when Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Come to me. I'll give you rest. You don't think that your adversary wants you weighed down by all that shame and all that guilt and all that fear? You're not rested. You're, you're destroyed right now. Some of you are so discouraged and so tired, you're out on the battlefield, the, the competition ring, the, the game, if you will. You're trying to go through your day-to-day life, but you are down. You are out. You are dragging because you're weighed down by some heavy burdens. He says, hey, put those on me. I'll carry them for you. I'll carry your burdens. You can't carry them. If you keep trying, you're never going to make it through this. 
Your opponent's too smart. He knows that you're not strong enough to compete at the level you need to compete and carry all this crap. But you've got somebody on your side. He's got it. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. God comes over and he tag teams. So you didn't know this whole competition. This was a, a tag team wrestling match. You just go over, God, I need some help. And then he steps through the ring and he goes, I got you. <laughs> he puts his arm around you. He picks all that burden up and he says, I'll carry it. Let's go together. See, Satan doesn't want you to know that. Satan doesn't want you to hear that because that empowers you. He wants you feeling shame. He wants you feeling guilt. He wants you feeling discouraged. Don't give into it. That's his strategy. That's his plan. You have a better one. Will you receive it? Will you take it? Will you live in it? Because see, that's how you find victory. Not in yourself, but in teaming up with a God who says, come to me, I'll give you rest. Some of you need to go to God for the very first time. Some of you have never truly invited him into your life and said, God, save me, give me rest. Some of you have done it, but you went back to trying to do everything on your own. You got distracted. You bought into a lie. You need to come back to him. So whether it's going to him for the first time or coming back to him and trusting his plan and admitting maybe you've kind of bought into some false stuff and you need to let go of it, wherever you're at, that's what I would challenge you with this first week of the playbook. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to respond? choice is yours. Let me pray over you. If you would bow your head, let me just pray and ask God to help you in that decision process. Dear Lord, thank you so much for what you've given us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for showing us our need for you, our need for a savior. God, more than anything, thank you for exposing the plan of our adversary. God, would you help us make smarter choices? Would you help us live in your word? Would you help us Stay close to you. You said you would give us rest if we would only trust you. So, Lord, I pray over the person under the sound of my voice who isn't trusting you right now. God, would they in this moment draw close to you? God, you said that if we would just confess that we have sin that we can't handle, that we're not good enough to be the God of our life, if we would confess you as our Lord, if we would get out of the driver's seat and let you start calling the shots, God, you said that you would save us. I pray for the person that needs to do that right now, that they would have the strength and the courage to invite you in, to surrender to you, to have that relationship. And God, I pray for the many people under the sound of my voice that have been distracted by the devil. God, they've been discouraged. They've been focusing on the no's instead of thanking you for the yeses. God, they've, they've denied the truth that you are good and that you love them. They've They've fallen prey. They've gotten buried under some weight, God. Their shame is heavy. Their fear is great right now, God. Their, their discouragement is keeping them from your best. God, would you help me and help every single one of us to lay that at your feet and to start a fresh journey with you? God, I pray this over every person here, every person watching, every person listening. God, I pray your truth, your power would fall on them that we would walk with you, that we would be a little bit different leaving here than how we came in because of exposure to your plan and finding truth, the truth of your love. We ask this in your name. Amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. 
Thanks for listening. See you next week.